0: Welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Lisa, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And today I'm joined by my friend and brother, BJ Thompson. Welcome, BJ.
1: Hey, thanks for having me today.
0: <laughs> thanks for being on. Um, if <laughs> you haven't, if you've been under a rock, um, <laughs> <laughs> BJ had some exciting things happen to him <laughs> yeah, do. over the weekend. Um, and BJ is no stranger to the G3 project. He's been on before, um, and he is the founder of Build a Better Us, um, which is strangely preparing him for what he's dealing with now. Uh, but I told him earlier that it's like Mr. Miyagi, uh, <laughs> God is some kind. Of, sometimes like Mr. Miyagi wax on, wax off. We don't think that he, he's connecting the dots with things that we didn't think would connect. So, um uh, BJ, tell everyone what happened to you, um, this past week.
1: You're yeah, so crazy. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, just to make, well, um, To make a long story short, you know, there was... The one thing I'm thankful for is the way that we're able to connect via social media. I think that it has created for many of us an opportunity um, to engage in the lives and, you know, kind of like moment-by-moment conversation with people who may not necessarily be in our circle. And so, you know, I ended up seeing some message about, you know, from somebody I really respect and love, And um, it was really heartbreaking. It, you know, kind of captured it was a a message from, you know, a known leader in our nation um, for um, great, um, you know, Christocentric kind of defense for the gospel and, you know, biblical orthodoxy. And they said something um, that that in essence kind of, you know, just in summary, if, if I'm reading it correctly, um, they ended up seeing a young African-American crossing the street and um, just concluded, you know, after seeing this young African-American, um, you know, flip off or show a sign of disrespect to, towards the authority, um, a, a passing by car, mm-hmm. which is a police car. Um, and they just concluded, you know, one, I think, and I really think he was trying to voice a concern, Lisa, but he just said, hey, this kid probably does not have a dad. Um, he's going to grow up and he's going to abort his babies. Um, he's going to, um, those who he, do, he does father, they will be fatherless. And, um, you know, and he just kind of made these rash conclusions. And so I just, you know, ended up responding and saying, hey, when we lack historical narratives,
2: mm-hmm. um, we
1: perpetuate unhelpful stereotypes instead of helpful solutions. And so try to leave it there. We want to be able to, to create, you know, kind of a healthy dialogue for that, mm-hmm. um, but not make too much of a controversy out of it. So, yeah, so left it there. But then afterwards, um, kind of saw another dialogue going on um, with this specific individual who was a very, you know, decently known person and just began to share with him, hey, that was very offensive. And before you make an assessment on a, a person that you don't know, it's probably best that you know we examine our own biases in our historical context. And it just blew up. So, yeah, I I didn't imagine that it would lead to this, but it turned into a lot of different things. So yeah, that's kind of in short what occurred, Lisa.
0: Mhm. Yeah, and I kind of I saw the social media storm that.
1: Uh, oh God! Yeah. <laughs>
0: Every, everybody was going in. I was like, oh snap, what happened? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I know we were talking before we started recording about how these types of things point out the our blind spots because yeah. um both of both of us are seminary trained and we know that, you know, sometimes when you've been through the seminary process, there's kind of elitist mentality yeah um and sometimes with our um that's the case in our um conservative um for our conservative white evangelical brothers and sisters and uh-huh. so um how do you think that plays into this whole thing
1: yeah um so I, so honestly Lisa, i think one of the things that we need to all recognize is that we are in a very critical time in history Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is a time where you know we're, we're asking as a nation questions about value, worth, dignity, history, culture. Um, and we're kind of going back, um, we are, you know, forced to ask ourselves about what do we believe about people who are different than us because there's an inevitable kind of cultural merging that's occurring. And I don't think anybody necessarily has planned for it. There's a lot of um, statistics that have come out. Um, but because of that, I think it it's brought us back to a place where we have to ask very difficult questions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, yeah, I think, you know, one of those questions is our presuppositions. You know, are our presuppositions correct? And, you know, for, for a lot of us, especially those of us who are theologically trained, um, you know, it's been it's beautiful. You know, one thing I love about systematic theology is that it provides a framework um, to being able to see... You know, various things throughout scripture through categorizing them um, and making them simple and plain, honestly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so yeah, So I, I love the academic culture in that regard, but I would say, um, and even just kind of given my recent conversation um, with my brother, I think there is a very ugly um, arrogance mm-hmm. that occurs and we think because scripture is inerrant, we're inerrant.
0: Mm-hmm. That's very good.
1: And yeah we think because scripture is an errant we're an errant and so when someone points out something that we may not have seen they're liberal they're marxist um they are you know uh, racial gnostics
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and i I think we just create new terminology of things that we may not have seen and so yeah I, i love the categorization of scripture and theology to make things simple but i think that oftentimes when you know you and i who are in very needy of different people's perspectives. Mm -hmm. I think that academia can create a form of self-sufficiency that's not consistent with what scripture calls us to be. And that's to be brothers and sisters, but that's also to be people who are very dependent on grace and -hmm. God's grace. So yeah, that's that's what I think some of the stuff is created for us.
0: So when you, you said the term racial Gnostic, I, I read that that was kind of what you were accused of being, um, from, <laughs> I didn't know what that meant uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what, what do you think that term actually means or what is what what is yeah, so, uh, trying to communicate yeah, through that
1: yeah so here's what I think I think that we are it, it's new the conversation for many of us is new right mm-hmm. and um, you know we have had bad encounters and I've seen a lot of recklessness online on social media where there have been people <sighs> who responded out of their um, passion with no truth um, or with minimal truth. And so, you know, a lot of us have been hurt and we've been attacked and we feel um, very defensive about someone even just challenging our perspectives. And so, you know, it makes a lot of sense to me. But I, but I also think that you know those of us who are, you know, theologically trained, we lean a lot on, um, you know, theological history in order to make accusations. And so we'll call a person a Gnostic, a heretic, you know, whatnot, um, in order to neutralize what they're saying. And so, you know, one of the most, the great, the great dangers for all of us is we all have blind spots. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that was very disappointing, and, you know, if I can be very frank with you in this interview, is that there is an assumption that somehow um, a degree, you know a understanding of systematic theology makes you immune to a blind spot. Mm-hmm. And we just know that that's not true biblically. And mm-hmm. you look at Apollos in Acts 18, and he, it says that he was preaching with boldness, and yet when Priscilla and Aquila came to speak to him, they had to help him see the gospel in a clearer way.
2: Right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at the Church of Laodicea in Revelation 3,
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: and they believed that they were rich and they were wealthy, And Jesus said, no, you're poor, pitiful, and blind, right? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I think that any time you and I think that we're self-sufficient and we don't need or we can't miss something within the gospel or our filter hasn't been tainted, Mm -hmm. I think it's dangerous for us all. And it undermines us coming together as brothers and sisters for this larger mission. Mm
0: -hmm. And if we don't, if we don't. Challenge each other if we don't allow Ourselves to be challenged by others brothers and sisters Then we walk around and the World discredits Our message because yeah. they're like You can't you can't see this Um, I just yeah. I was thinking About and I was looking at the conversation And I was like how would this look To a um, Unbeliever that's um, African-American Christian I mean not an African-American yeah. Christian an Unbeliever that's African-American If he would read this this uh, brother's arguments what would he what would he think you know what i'm saying what what the mess what would be the message and then you'll be like well let me give you the gospel and he'll be like well (laughs) you offended me and if you don't realize this is an offense and if you're not trying to you know repent of that then you're not you're not he's not going to take anything you say and so we have to allow ourselves to be challenged um so that we could be a better witness, that we could be salt and light, because we can't be salt and light walking around with, with blind spots.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, one thing that I think for all of us um, is that, you know, we do have blind spots, mm-hmm. and, you know, we can't make justifications through theology for our blind spots. And, and one thing that, you know, I think is it's healthy for us is, you know, Peter, story of Peter. Peter is convinced. That by no means would he ever deny Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And um, one thing that I've heard, in just in this recent conversation, was just this this confidence of, "There's no way I could see, you know, these things from this particular light, or I would ever, I would never do these things." You know, Lisa, we would all do things, and we've all done things that we regret.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we've all done things that we thought we'd never do, and we've all been in positions that we said that we'd never be in before. And so I think before we take the posture of someone who would never, you know, do a particular thing, we need to take the posture of those who say, you know what? I've been lied to, mm-hmm. and I can be deceived by my own um, sin, and I and I need to be open to missing something, right? Mm-hmm. And and one thing, especially as it comes to race, particularly in North America is that our society was constructed and built, our nation, get this, was built on the backs of human slavery
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the degradation of people based off of the color of the skin.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it occurred for so long, Lisa, um, and it's played itself out in tons of different ways, either outright slavery, discriminatory laws of Jim Crow, or these invisible kind of systems that consistently plague people that I think that we struggle to see that we live in a society that has a racial kind of overtone, mm-hmm.
2: right?
1: And so I think, you know, one of the things is, as we, as we talk about the issue of race and bias, that there's not a person that it has not impacted.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I like guess because your mother and father said that all people are equal, it doesn't mean that we have not all been infected by um, the devastation of this. Mm-hmm or the presuppositions of it. And so, yeah, we need one another and um we, we have to begin to say, you know what? Maybe if I don't see it, you know, that there could be something there. And that's okay because at the cross there's room, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> at the cross there's room for me to be wrong. Um, there's room you heard you guys heard me say this before, if you follow me, there's room for me to know that I'm a mess and yet God still loves me. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so again, we just have to be in a position where we believe that it's even possible, especially if we believe in total depravity. You can't believe in total depravity and not believe that the state can be blind to the issue. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: That needs correction and redirection. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah, it's so crazy because um, on Thursday I had a meeting with the pastor, and he happens to be um, Caucasian. Um, and we were talking and he was telling me his story of his father-in-law and he said his father-in-law um was raised in a racist home his dad was one of the leaders of the kkk in the time in the city and um he said so he grew up with a lot of hate the father-in-law grew Mm. up with a lot of hate and he said that since the father-in-law has been going to his church the gospel has really penetrated that area in his life until now um he's you know, fully he's, you know, working on that. He's confessed that he had some prejudices and some racism uh-huh. in his heart. And oh, what's so interesting was he was telling me the story. He was like, you know, he's really cool with the one, one of the, um, the black church and, uh, um, yeah. the father-in-law is now they're really close. And one day the guy's car broke, the black guy's car broke down and he went to go get him, yeah. and he was following the guy in his car, I guess they had got it started, but he was following him and he saw the cop pull his black friend over. And he was like, the cop was so m- mean and nasty to him and he didn't do anything. And he was like, for the first time, he realized what African-Americans were talking about. Wow. And wow. this whole time, I mean, his father-in-law, you know, was, I think in his sixties now, he never understood but it was at that moment where he saw his friend get treated unjustly that his eyes were open. and it's yeah. it's like those kinds of stories remind me that people really don't see um, yeah. because it's not happening to them, and so it yeah. kind of ma- yeah. it kind of kind of developed in me a little bit more empathy because I was like, wow, you know, <laughs> I wish a lot of a lot more people could have those stories. So it's like you're confronted with what you missed, like, you know, what I'm saying where it had to you had to see it. Um, You couldn't say, you know, this is some kid on the street. You know, it's not you seeing it on the news is different between the different and then being confronted with it firsthand.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, it's no different than the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. That Jesus, the Bible says that the word of God says that the word became flesh and dwell among us. Mm -hmm. God didn't just he didn't just send the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Mm -hmm. And it says that in Hebrews um, that he was tempted just like a man, right? Mm -hmm. And and what I think is interesting for us, Lisa, is we often make assessments on people that we have zero relationship with. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, um, I remember immigration. It was just the idea of immigration. And, you know, people mentioned immigration. It wasn't a big deal um, until I began to have friends who were actually dealing with immigration. Mm-hmm. And I began to see that immigration, especially when when laws were reflective of un, in, unjustly, that they that it was not okay because my friend was suffering. Mm-hmm. My friend was being neglected. My mm-hmm. friend was trying to figure out how their family would be, you know, um, not deported from the United States or from whatever nation. And so it, it became my burden. And, and that, that's Bible, right? Galatians mm-hmm. six, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think that in a lot of times, you know, a lot of us are okay with sweeping statements
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, about people. Um, and, you know, we talk about this. It's not just that we have blind spots. It's just that when blind blind spots are pointed out to us, and we just don't want to believe them, and. We don't have a relationship with the people that we're connected to or we're making criticisms about Mm
2: -hmm. so that
1: when they respond back, we think we're being persecuted. Mm -hmm. We don't believe that, you know, we are being redirected to see something clearer. Um, And we see that all the time. My wife loves my wife. And, you know, I'm not a perfect person. But you know what? There's nothing more humbling than my wife saying to me, hey, we had this conversation and I felt like you had a harsh tone,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Now, again, I immediately go into defense. No, I didn't. I was, you know, just trying to explain something to you. And then what I have to recognize is that sin, sin has affected every area of my life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. And that could be something about me that she sees that I don't see. And I need her to point out what I don't see But I can't make a sweeping statement about her in order to neutralize what she said. So, no, that's exactly right. It was a relationship is the thing that changes the way we empathize and show compassion to other people. Mm -hmm. So, I would totally agree with that.
0: Yeah. And I think it's so important because not only is it a relationship, but it's not a shallow relationship. Because sometimes people say, well, I have a relationship with a lot of African-Americans, but there's no (laughs) real depth to it. So, you know, it's kind of like just having a Facebook friend and I, you know, them. Okay. But, you know, have y'all went deep? Have y'all shared y'all stories? Y'all have conversations Mm -hmm. over a meal? You know, have y'all talked about tough things? Are they allowed to challenge you? Um, And I think that's something, you know, when people say, well, they'll try to get out of even this challenge to build relationships and say, I have relationships, but how deep are your relationships?
1: Absolutely. Let me just say something just very, um, very clear. Um, I challenge Dr. James White not on the basis of his correct theology, I challenge him based off of the idea of his improper interpretation of people because of his lack of historical context. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that we love to make assessments about people blanketly, mm-hmm. um, especially when we don't really know their narrative. Um, and so, what I challenged him on was, man, it's not okay to say that a child is going to abort his children because how we see people is how, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's not even reflective of what God is doing to us. And so we're you know we're honest about the social constructs of even America, you know, when you look at the Bible, void of historical context, we end up making shallow or um, inconsistent applications, right? Mm -hmm. And so the same is true with cultural issues. When we try to make gospel applications void of any historical perspective, all we can do is make very shallow applications. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that I want to challenge our brothers and sisters on on history so that we can make a proper, more fuller um, application of what Scripture already has to say, right? Mm -hmm. And and so I would just say one thing that's huge for us is when you look at the history of America and you recognize that people of color not just were enslaved, but even in the Reconstruction, that they were made indebted financially, um, they were forced to live in certain places up into the 1960s, and then, they were cre- then there was created these things we call ghetto, um, ghetto, which were experimental housing projects in order to discriminate against them, and they hadn't received quality education. They hadn't received um, a consistent access to resources. They hadn't con- received um, a consistent treatment of law enforcement. You know, man, that's a tragic thing that's happening in this environment. Mm-hmm. And so we have to acknowledge that, and I, I think that's painful.
0: Yeah, I I think a lot of people don't want to deal with that and they don't understand how their language even infuriates the the African-American population. I was talking to one of my friends that's more, if we use titles, he would be way more liberal. And he said, what frustrates him about white conservative evangelicalism is they're always talking about the moral decline of America. And he was like, were we, was it, so it wasn't, A decline when you were raping our women and (laughs) we were slaves and you were treating us poorly. Now it's a a decline. But because it's affecting you, Yeah. It's a decline. But when it was affecting us, it was we were a moral nation. When have we ever been moral nation? And I think that's what kind of even with the language of Donald Trump that says, you know, take America back. Uh, it's kind of like, where are we going back to? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for... I'm
1: going back to? It. I want to go back to it. I'm not, that wasn't a good time for people of color. I don't know if I want to go back. I don't know if I want to go back to that time and that era. And and again, that that's exactly right, is that we think the more decline happened then, the more decline happened in the garden mm-hmm. um, and it showed itself in the flood and it's continued out throughout all human history.
2: Mm-hmm. One thing I
1: love about Jesus is that he said, our good is wrapped up in the good of the least of these. Mm-hmm. And we see this in Matthew 25, that the good of people is wrapped up in the good of the least of these. Mm-hmm. And so if I want to know how I'm, I'm doing, I don't need to look at the elite. Mm-hmm. I don't need to look at the middle class. I need to look at the people who have the least amount of resources, the least amount of power, and the least amount of beauty in our society. Mm-hmm. And that's the litmus test of every society. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the the responsibility of those who believe is that now they see the least of these as people of priority, as people who deserve dignity, as people who are worth fighting for and giving divorce to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Is that, you know, we, we often don't see ourselves as that, but that's who we are. Mm-hmm. I am that poor person. Mm-hmm. You know, we are that, you know, that person that we think is a thug. Mm-hmm. That is you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what it does is it kills self-righteousness in our hearts.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's a, this whole idea that, you know, people don't want to admit that they think that black people are less than.
1: No, they don't want to say No. <laughs> One of my friends, no. he pastors a,
0: um inner city um, new church plant. Um, and he co-pastors with a, a, a white a white guy and um, they're very, very good good leaders and he's black. And he said one of the members came to him and said, You know, I've been searching my heart and I realize that I have trouble submitting to you because you're black.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: And um he was like wow. <laughs> and my friend was like, Oh, I already knew that. But I'm glad now you recognize it. Um wow. But I think those kinds of confessions are when the real healing takes place. To yeah. say that nobody wants to say, I think you're, I think I'm better than you.
1: But yeah. if that's what's in your yeah.
0: heart, the only thing that's going to free you from that is admitting it. And I think oh, wow. we can't get past something we're afraid to confess.
1: And no, so we tell good. people,
0: you know, confess your sin, but then it's it's like taboo to say, I'm a racist. I think one of the, yeah. I have one, one of my professors I have the most respect for is Doctor Leo Perser, and in class he said he confessed to us. He was like, you know, I grew up in a racist south, and there, yeah. I was hate was indoctrinated in me. So that's yeah. I came out hating. And he said I have yeah. to challenge myself on my prejudice yeah. and racism. And me and Doc, like that's my favorite professor. So his him confessing his racism didn't take any away from anything away from me as away wow. from him in my mind as a respect it was like that gave me more respect for him because you confessed it and now you wow. know where your blind spots are and you know what challenges are so like you know we're good because i have sin too so you yeah. know we're all trying to overcome
1: something is an issue until we come into conflict with it hmm when you come into conflict with something, that's when you recognize it's an issue. Mm-hmm. So many of us grew up in very segregated um, communities, and we believe that we hold no bitterness towards anybody unlike us because we've been taught our entire lives that, you know, we'll treat people right, Nobody's, everybody's the same.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And again, Jesus makes it very clear um, that it's the least of these that you know where you are. And I think right now, Lisa, we're coming to place some time well, we're forced to deal with this. What do we believe about the LGBT movement? What mm-hmm. do we believe about immigrants? What do we believe about people of color? Not because we believe in anything different, but because for the first time, in in really in human history, we're coming into unavoidable contact with them, and we're coming into unavoidable closeness to them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think you know a lot of our attitudes um, of apathy, mm-hmm. withdrawal. I heard um, Dr. White say something very discouraging um he said that he would never engage in a racial conversation again I'm um, very discouraging from um, mm-hmm. a leading apologist and speaker and it doesn't take away from his orthodoxy uh, him being a man of God but what it shows me is that when we come into conflict with certain things instead of running to the cross we run to comfort
2: mm-hmm.
1: instead of running to God or trying to figure out what it is maybe we could not we may not be seen um we respond with a lot of defensiveness and so For my listeners there who are looking to engage in the conversation, I would say never give up. Um, Don't give up on the conversation because the the church, the people of God, are to be a picture of God, and they're to be a picture of the unity um, uh, that only God can bring through conflict, Mm -hmm. and that's through the cross, right? And so, Mm -hmm. again, I know that the conversation can be weird. Um, We run into it on social media people say things they shouldn't say or, you know, there's like this long rant, you know, about something that you just run away, either politically or socially, don't turn away. Um, The cross gives us the power to step into that. And when we avoid these conversations, we actually perpetuate Mm -hmm. the brokenness in those arenas. So no, I think you're speaking a good word. It is honesty. And, you know, you don't have to see everything. If you are a thinker, you are, you know, a reader, you don't have to know all the answers. If mm-hmm. somebody pointing out our blind spots, again, my kids do this all the time to me, listen. They point out something I don't see. Um, my wife does it to me all the time. She points out something I don't see. My friends do it all the time. And I have to have the humility to respond and go, you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe there's something I don't see. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because my work and my value is in God and what he's done for me, not in me being right. Mm-hmm. And that's how we engage in a
2: battle. Yeah.
0: And I think it's interesting, um, even me thinking through what you said about how Dr. White said he wouldn't engage in a conversation on oh, racism again. It's so interesting because he's an apologist. He's an apologist. He's not apologetic. He's not apologetic. Because I know he has debates with Mormons, atheists, and I'm sure yeah. they bring out blind spots. They um, do. They do. So it's, it's it's the irony in this uh, this whole thing is like yeah. this is this is your life like you deal with yeah. people who have a, a, yeah. offenses against the gospel, and yeah. it's just it's amazing how we pick and choose, um,
1: yeah. but it lends it's to our blindness. One life. of the issues that forces humility. Mm-hmm. So you know you think about race. Race causes repentance among all. Race causes us to have to ask for forgiveness, and it causes us to deal with the past. Mm-hmm. And when you start dealing with the real social constructs, I'm not saying figments of people's imagination, but actual social constructs, um, something as simple as, you know, that redlining, um, creating spaces where black and brown people had to live and they were embedded in the laws of the land. And they just had to live and real estate agents played into that. Right. Mm-hmm. That's something that's real and it has damage. Um, and it has effects that happen when we start admitting things that people treated even academically and educationally. They now have access mm-hmm. to equal educational systems based off the color of their skin. It forces contrition. It forces humility. It forces us to grieve as a society. And I think that we've created this norm in, in Christian and evangelical culture that's not okay with grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not okay with saying, man, I'm sorry, that was wrong. So that we can move on in solidarity, we created systems of thoughts and theology that say, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Or, you know, you are Marxist and you are a narcissist. And, and now it just it perpetuates the pain, and it really, it, it totally it starts the issue. And then you have the sheep just standing there waiting for guidance, directing themselves. So, praise God for Jesus, that when he came out of Nazareth, he saw the people not being cared for and being overlooked, that he stepped right into that, and it was messy. Mm-hmm. He was around a prostitute, <laughs> he was mm-hmm. around a tax collector, and lepers, and he was around all these different types of people, because he, he knew that all lives were valuable, mm-hmm. and he could not forsake all lives for the norm of the culture, and I think that's why racism is difficult mm-hmm. because we are convinced um, that we don't struggle with it. But when we're confronted with it, it's difficult for us to believe because we don't know that the cross is big enough to deal with the legitimate harms of our past and reconcile
0: us in the present.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's true. I, I actually, this is so interesting that this is all happening this week on Wednesday and Thursday. I spent um I spent in a reconciliation seminar. Uh one of my friends okay. as a pastor brought in this professional reconciler. I didn't even know that was a thing. But my Yeah. But she's like a certified reconciler. I was like, oh wow. But in it she was like one of the things um that when people are defensive, the it's really rooted in fear and i begin to think as you yes, were talking yes. you know about you know sometimes people are defensive because they're afraid to be called the racist but on the other That's hand amazing. they don't realize and this is in any relationship if somebody confronts you and i'm sure you know this through your work with build a better us Challenge. when you're challenged yeah,
2: yeah,
0: you know if you're defensive and you and you don't deal with it and you won't say i'm sorry then you create a yes. bigger issue
2: Absolutely.
0: Um, And if you're so afraid of people running from you or calling you a name, it's like, no, the opposite is going to happen. They're going to embrace you. Most people will embrace you and say, thank you for admitting that. Let's try to work through it. But if you act like it doesn't exist, then you isolate
1: yourself. Yeah. And I think what we act like doesn't exist is a culture that's been built on a racial narrative. Mm I mean, you look at what people live. Think about the poorest people in America. They're black and brown. Mm-hmm. That's not a by coincidence. Um, there's a lot of history there. And I think one of the things that we do, Lisa, is we hide behind Bible, not recognizing that the Bible doesn't doesn't support us in that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, he is, I mean, he's redeeming the idea that the Samaritans are no longer filthy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The better people are worthy to be engaged, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just say the Samaritans, the Samaritans are thugs and they're going to abort their babies. We have to say now that the Samaritans are children of God and they can be worshipers and they can worship in spirit and truth mm-hmm. because there is no mountain that mm-hmm. they worship on and that's the beauty right our goal has to be true reconciliation within the larger scope of humanity mm-hmm. and a reconciliation that deals with things that are tough mm-hmm. and again we are all biased we all miss things
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's okay to learn from our brothers and sisters but one thing that we can't do we can't perpetuate narratives that say really nasty things to each other mm-hmm. or create tribes, uh, you know, from um, different languages and hide behind the scriptures because the scripture isn't supporting us. In Acts 6, one thing I love about Bible is that it gives us a lot of these parallels. Mm-hmm. And there was the Greek Jews who were saying, hey, we're being neglected here. Like, you guys are overlooking us in the way you provide for us. Mm-hmm. And the, the apostles... Instead of calling them Gnostics, they say, you know what? They didn't call them racial Gnostics. So they uh, <laughs> actually acknowledge,
2: actually acknowledge
1: that they could be wrong. They'd be, they'd be like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, they're like, what is the racial Gnostics? <laughs> they, actually, they acknowledge that they could be wrong. They could be missing it. And they appointed Greek deacons to make sure that that wouldn't happen again. See, what the gospel does for us, it not only recognizes that there's something wrong, but it reconciles. What's happened, and and that's what we would do well to follow example from scripture. But again, if we don't see that, and we don't we don't co, co um, sign the narrative of God, we'll find ourselves in situations where we don't look any different than the people that you know we say don't know God, and we end up not necessarily living in, in shalom, but we go on these circular arguments um, that really need, lead to um, you know quarrels. Arguments um, and, and really just try. So, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. We got to do a better job of dealing with it, but it's it's clear in scripture, and it's happened so many times. So, God has not left us without an example.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and I
0: was so, you know, for me, I people don't understand that this problem lends to. Um, why there's such hatred towards evangelicals? Absolutely.
1: Like they don't, they don't get it. They, <laughs> they don't get it. It's like they think it's like persecution. No, 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 no. Let's just talk about that. Let's talk about that a little bit. Let's just talk about that just a little bit. And I'll leave it on it. So what we've done, and it happened. um It's happened before. We think we're getting persecuted for the gospel instead of gaining clarity in the gospel, mm-hmm. right? The gospel should become more clearer. We know this from Acts 8 and Acts 10 that God had to show up to Peter to help him see something. He said, No, this is clean. You need to see this is clean. Mm-hmm. And he was gaining clarity. We see this from Acts 18 with olives mm-hmm. and Aquila and Priscilla. We can all gain further clarity in the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. We see the same thing in Galatians 2. Mm-hmm. When Paul, remember?
0: Mm-hmm. Challenging he said Peter. Peter
1: and challenges him Mm face-to-face. Not because he was trying to be divisive and win a debate, but he was challenging him face-to-face because he knew for the good and the glory of God and the unity of the church, it was not okay for an apostle to be racially or ethnically biased. Mm -hmm. Right? So we all need growing clarity in the gospel. Um, And for us, one of the ways we do it is we have to know historical narratives. My listeners out there, Rest on what do I go do next? But we have to begin to read history, and we can't keep re- reading history from the history books. Mm-hmm. And we have to read black and brown people, Native American people, and these other narratives who don't edit out um, this rosy kind of colored, you know, view of history. Who give us real time, real date, real war. Talk about real genocide mm-hmm. that force us to read and cause us to be humble enough to go. You know what? And that was wrong, and that's evil. And I see this continue today so that we can be allies and not cynical individuals who find every reason to disregard the raised concerns of people who don't look like us, mm-hmm. um, which will be anti-biblical. Mm-hmm. And we see that in First Corinthians 12, 21 through 26,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that, that, the, that the I can't say to the hand, I don't need you,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? But we, that our good is wrapped up in one another. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so what I would say is this thing is so embedded into us that we do need to make room to pause for it. And it's okay that we don't get it right because God never made us to see everything. And we legitimately see, need to see the narrative of one another for the sake of the gospel, mm-hmm. um, not just because of some social yeah um, gospel. Yeah, I
0: agree. Because one of the things that I always challenge people on both sides is for for my liberal brothers and sisters is that Paul challenges Peter, but Peter is still a brother. And so, you know, he didn't, he didn't, what we, what Peter says doesn't go out the window because he was wrong on the issue. And then on the reverse hand, Paul does challenge Peter. That means like you're saying, we have to challenge um, the blind spots of others. But when we challenge the blind spots of others. We must see it issue by issue, and not because sometimes with with it kind of works the other way. where We will say, "Well, they're painted with a broad stroke, so we'll go ahead and paint with the broad stroke."
1: Absolutely, and
0: absolutely.
1: so absolutely, and so yeah, we, we have these back sweeping. We clap back. In the black community, we call it the clap back. Yeah, <laughs> clap back And, and so I make it very clear if you don't know what you're about. Absolutely.
0: And so I see it with friends I had. they would be like, you know, I can't. Any Anybody that's a, 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 a white evangelical, I can't hear what they have to say. And it's like, nah, yeah. you know, confront them on racism, but they have some good points yeah. in other areas. And so I yeah. think that interaction between Paul and Peter in Galatians really kind of shows us on both ends what to do.
1: Yeah, no, I, I would totally agree with that. And I, I think that, you know, for those of us wrestling with next steps, I think one, we do need to really listen to one another. Two, total depravity means that we all have blind spots. Mm -hmm. Three, I think we need to recognize that any barrier to the gospel, especially those that are coming up, um, is something we need to confront. And, you know, one of the things that that we don't want to deal with, we don't want to deal with the fact that we have a racialized society. There's a great book, if you haven't read it, it's called Divided by Faith, uh, one of my favorites, and just kind of pointing out this idea of individualism that really harms us Mm -hmm. and assumes that... We already understand that our our reality um, is the reality, and and recognizing that it's not, right? And and one of the things that's discouraging is that we conclude that there's nothing more to be learned. You know, one thing, um, just to speak frankly in my conversation um, recently, was that my brother assumed there's nothing else to be learned. Mm -hmm. And I go, my God, have we created a Christian culture that believes that when somebody points out something, we're being persecuted. Not can't legitimately miss, wait, my comments of a 15-year-old walking across the street and saying that he's going to abort his children. Maybe it could be twinge with the racial filter that I've unconsciously absorbed given our 500-year history in America. Mm -hmm. Maybe I could be a little impacted by that. (laughs) Maybe a little bit. I'm not saying I'm all the way impacted to where I have ill malice in my heart. But maybe I'm impacted by that. And for those of my brothers and sisters listening to it, if I have a teenage daughter, mm-hmm. and if I heard a person say that to, to me, we would have a problem. Mm-hmm. We would have a problem. You just my child as a welfare baby. You, we would have a problem. Mm-hmm. It would be a real problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, we're not considering one another in it. And, and again, because we seek to be so innocent, it keeps us from hearing one another and loving one another through it. So again... Racial issues are gospel issues because they include how we love people. They're not gospel issues because they're somehow a part of the liberal agenda. If that's the case, Jesus was a liberal. Mm-hmm. Come on. I mean, if we're, if we're being honest <laughs> about it, his ministry revolved around the treatment of people. Mm-hmm. The Sabbath day, um, healing of the, the sick, raising of the dead, eating, um, what it means— if that's the case, Jesus was a liberal. If we want to be honest,
2: mm-hmm. Jesus was a liberal
1: in the way we describe mm-hmm. it. You know, but we know that Jesus was more balanced, and Jesus loved both God and people, and we can't continue to segregate the two because they are one. And again, it's okay to be wrong. And if somebody points out wrong, even to me, somebody points out wrong, it's okay. But, but what's not okay is for me to hide behind doctrine, what's me not okay it's for me to hide behind my PhD or whatever that may be. That's not okay because that's, that doesn't create the unity of the church. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, I heard yeah. Uh, pastor Mason say a long time ago, we like weighty doctrine without a way to actually practice
1: it. Ooh, come on. <laughs> and you know where that came from? And I, I want to make sure you grab this part that came from George Whitfield. And I'll tell you how. So George Whitfield, amazing man loved mm-hmm. God, created, you know, some of the Great Awakenings. Mm-hmm. He believed at a point, he called the father of evangelicalism, mm-hmm. George Whitefield. Um, and, and I don't think he consciously did it. I think he unconsciously did it. But he began to promote that as long as you treated people right, you could own slaves. He actually re-instit- reinstituted slavery in Georgia, mm-hmm. which is a big deal because it's a complete a uh, degration of the Immaculate, Dane, the picture of God in people. Mm-hmm. It's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And he just justified it through doctrine. Mm-hmm. He's like, this just makes sense. And so he just justified it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what happened was the church bit on that. And they go, as long as our doctrine is right, we're right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we know that that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. We know that that's not right. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not right. It's not right. But he created that normacy And listen, when you see people being silent today, when you see Christian leaders being silent today, whether they know it or not, they're mimicking George Mm Whitfield. George Whitfield couldn't see it, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right? And so we have to reject any doctrine that diminishes the Margo Day. Jesus did the same thing with the Sabbath. He said, if you can't honor giving life on the Sabbath, you're missing what's true. Mm -hmm. the same thing. If we don't believe people who are suffering Mm -hmm. in different cultural contexts. Um, is legit, then we find ourselves operating more like Pharisees and not the apostles.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's the scary thing is that we can all be Pharisees and not see it.
0: Yep. And be like uh, the Pharisees when Jesus healed the uh, blind man and they were like, this man was born in sin like they weren't.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> We've become very pious and self-righteous. And again, that's the thing that's discouraging me is that we believe that we're not as tainted by sin we are, at least that we are, we're tainted by all sin because mm-hmm. we are vulnerable. And that's how we need one another. Amen. So, so I went to, um, a, went to a seminary and uh, one thing that I recognized that a, a lot of people were growing and having conversations around deep thought, theological meanings. Um, but a lot of people struggle to make application of that in everyday life Lisa can you talk to me what, what do you think it is that causes us to have this really dense understanding of theology that's absent of um, I guess the the application of that or even just seeing that in, in our everyday life what, what is that?
0: I think it's what happened to me in seminary you I when I get in study mode I get in study mode and because that <laughs> My, my prayer life suffers because I'm taking all this information and I realized that the difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy in my life was prayer because knowledge Ooh. puffs up but prayer brings us down and humbles wow. ourselves and humbles us because sometimes we get all this information and realize we're not practicing anything so we'll, we'll not talk to people because we got to study Bible And we'll not love people or be harsh because you're interrupting my study time. And when you get to a mode like that, it's like, what? Hold on. You're not reflecting Christ. And the only way I can reflect him is to spend time with him. It's not to just reading his word is great, but I have to say, how does this affect my heart? You know, how does there's no devotion or self-reflection? We're just studying and we love
1: yeah. knowledge. Yeah. Can I take it a little further? Mm-hmm. So I think that you know we get the kind of me reflection. You know, a lot of our things are big quiet times, and I'm kind of spending a long time with a guy. That's a real echo kind of phrase.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think what we miss is the second commandment: love our neighbors as ourselves, mm-hmm. and how that thing has to play itself out in the way we respond. In relationships, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And some relationships side, they, um, side swipe us by the catch us off guard and we're not necessarily expecting it, right? And I think one of the relationships that we that we have that we often don't expect the cross-cultural relationships.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it forces us into a new position to have to deal with real issues in a way that we may not have ever expected. And so, um, I definitely think you're right on that. But I think that, you know, a lot of us we believe ourselves to just be individuals, and we interpret that um, the scriptures through an individual lens, mm-hmm. not through the lens of an entire people, mm-hmm. and not through a lens of the, of a diverse family, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, one thing that we can do is as we read it, we got to ask, would this bring peace and shalom to all people in the family? Mm-hmm. Because if it's just okay, you know, and this in contemporary terms, if this only speaks to the white Christian or to the minority Christian, it's not gospel.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It has to speak to all Christians, especially those who are involved in a way that brings shalom. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, no, I think I think you're right. Prayer causes humility, and, and we have advocated a culture. I was sharing somebody with somebody today um, that does not appreciate humility. Mm-hmm. We don't even like apologizing. We think apologies <laughs> are weak. We mm-hmm. do. And we taught that mm-hmm. we taught people that apologizing is weak, especially when it comes to these type of discussions, or difficult discussions, and that you know really the goal is to be right. And I'm not saying that we say that explicitly, mm-hmm. but we do it by our actions because we're not satisfied. Uh, we're, we, we feel satisfied when we want the argument. We're not satisfied when we want our brother, mm-hmm. and that's what Jesus tells us to do. Jesus is calling us to be satisfied when our brother, not be satisfied when we win the argument.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think. You know, with prayer, I I look at when I was, um, before I went to seminary, I used to read a lot of the prophets. I still read the prophets after seminary, but I used to (laughs) read Ezekiel, Isaiah, um, Ezra, all of those guys. And I love the way they prayed. When they repented, they talked in a lot of we language, not a lot of I language. And sometimes we don't realize as the body of Christ it's a body. It's not, you know. Yeah. We pray like God, you know, forgive me. But it's like God, don't just forgive me. Forgive us, like yeah, you know, we yeah. we're all wrestling. They Ezra wasn't pointing out, okay, the priest did this, okay, but I ain't do that, so I ain't gonna repent for that because I yeah. that, that I didn't I didn't do that. God, he said no. He's Good. he's lamenting for the body of Christ, and I, if we yeah. would have that same passion. um, we sometimes we when we're praying for ourselves we're you're you know very passionate but when we're praying for the body, we're kind of apathetic but if we bring that same passion to prayer and say God no we've sinned no we we're doing it wrong help yes. us it changes our perspective yes. from like you said the individualized thought to more of the body of Christ
1: you absolutely. know absolutely yeah and, and, and you' you're right so that keeps us from shaming people right mm-hmm. We feel like they've done something wrong. It keeps us from making it us versus them
2: mm-hmm. and it's
1: just us mm-hmm. right and it's such an american thing to make it us versus them
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we are all in need of grace we mm-hmm. all are a mess if you follow me you hear me say this we are all a mess mm-hmm. we all have blind spots and the goal of the of the gospel is to create a dialogue that honors god as a us dialogue not a mm-hmm. me dialogue
2: mm-hmm.
1: right and that includes our cultural issues
2: mm-hmm.
1: if you don't like race well, your brothers and sisters struggle with racism. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? <laughs> right? That is that's that is their dialogue. You have brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who are wrestling with racial patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Either you're going to ignore it or you're going to acknowledge it and say, man, we it, this is our burden, not just your burden. Right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, vice versa. When you see people acting arrogantly and presumptuously based off of what they think they know, we need to start challenging that and say, Are you loving those people, or are you just trying to be right? Mm -hmm. You know, are you looking to create unity, or are you trying to build your own kingdom? That's our role as Christians, and not to, again, not to create nasty slurs like the word liberal. It's Mm -hmm. really disheartening to hear people deflect with terminology, um, because what it does is it never really deals with the issue. Mm -hmm. It doesn't create reconciliation, and it actually promotes. A form of ungodliness that's mass and piety mm-hmm. and that's what Jesus came to disrupt mm-hmm. when he was meeting with the Pharisees he was disrupting their piety mm-hmm. because they had come up with creative ways to not have to necessarily deal with the fact that they wasn't loving their parents well the fact that they weren't loving the poor well Um the fact that they were not honest in talking about their sin anymore Jesus was disrupting it and I think again as, as believers, people of God, we have a duty to look like what heaven's going to look like now in the practice of things. So, yeah, it takes us being honest, and it takes us being sincere, and it also takes us being students in this thing and not assuming, you know what, I already get it, because guess what? Just because you got, you know, people of color as friends or, you know, white people as your friends, it doesn't mean you understand that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that when they bring up an issue to you, hopefully they're not trying to shame you, the hope they're trying to share with you in a way that brings honor and dignity to, to God himself. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I see it not only with race, I see it with, um, denominational rifts. because, um, I came from, you know, more Pentecostal charismatic background. Come on. And then I went to, then I was, I went to a, the most, uh, fundamental Baptist seminary you can go to. So I've seen both wow. worlds and I, yeah. I understand like some you know there's this in in the more fundamental reformed baptist circuit there's this real strong emphasis on study doctrine um and then you know just very weighty information but then in the pentecostal non-denominational sect there's an emphasis on prayer and so yeah. it's like we isolate each other and like, oh, okay, Good. y'all don't believe, but it's like, if we come together, we see that we're sharpening one another and I yeah. can help you learn how to study, but you can help me pray. And so yeah. that thing, we need each other. And because we're so yeah. tribal based, we kind of isolate. Tribal.
1: Oh, That's right. That's you, right. you know, Freedom
0: you're, you you're a heretic. You're or, of Apollo.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you're of Apollo. You're of You're of yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. These tribes, and they've long existed because we long for power.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They've long existed because we long for power.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the only person that should be powerful is God Himself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, no, you, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, I, I would just say people need to educate themselves. Let's fight to not have tribes. Let's fight to be honest. And if somebody points something out, let's be humble as to say that maybe I don't know um, because deflecting has got us nowhere. When I mean, mm-hmm. you go back and look at the last two years of discussion um as it relates to race and culture, look at all the conversations that created more deflection, and mm-hmm. they have created nothing. They've done nothing. Mm-hmm. Um but look at the places where we actually sought to listen to one another
2: mm-hmm. and
1: fight to hear different people's perspective outside of your norm. Mm-hmm. it'll it'll bless you. Mm-hmm. It'll bless you. It'll bless you to go, you know what maybe I don't maybe I don't see it, and I need to ask for the sake of clarity. Not for the sake of going to war with my brothers and sisters. So
0: BJ, this has been a very rich conversation. <laughs> what
1: <laughs> what would be your last words? Yeah. Um you know the the Bible, you know, one of the things that that you learn about with um and you learn this from Matthew twenty three. Go back and read it. It says do what it says listen to what the Pharisees say, teachers of the law say, but don't do what they practice. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that we often discredit people um, because we are in disagreement with them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we don't recognize that Jesus said, "Don't, don't, you know, do what George Whitfield says, but don't practice what he practiced mm-hmm. because he missed it." Right? And I think that in a lot of times we discredit people, and we, rec- we believe that they can't be changed, they can't grow. Pray for people. Mm-hmm. Pray that they actually change. Mm-hmm. And the goal of these conversations. is isn't to create Marxism. The goal is to be the picture in the colony of God.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So one, I think we need to do that. Two, because we've been miseducated um, historically, it's hard for us to apply the, the gospel accurately. Mm-hmm. So we have to go back and be re-educated. One book that I love to read um, is Divided by Faith by Emerson. Mm-hmm. Great book. Um, just points out individualism. But I think it gets us on a pathway of just having this discussion without feeling so defensive about it mm-hmm. and then recognizing, you know what, we do damage to this. Um, and the last thing I would say, fight for unity, not your position.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. I Too think often that's
1: we have, we created this culture of rightness and it's led to further division and not love. And that's what God wants from his people. He says, you are the colony, but in a picture of who I am on this world. And so at least if I'm fighting for my own agenda, and I'm fighting to be seen as right, I've missed His grace. I've missed what He's trying to intend to create inside of me. And that's not okay. And so I would just say, let's fight for that. Let's not fight for a tribe. And, you know, that's the thing that sucks about some of the evangelical reform culture. Mm-hmm. It's so tribal, and mm-hmm. it creates more tribalism. Mm-hmm. But when we're humble, we will create a larger family. Mm-hmm. We won't create a larger tribe.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's the goal. We have got to ask ourselves, are we creating tribes? or we create a larger family in God.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I think
0: those are very helpful things. Um, You can reach out to BJ on Twitter. Is it BJ116?
1: Yeah, at BJ116.
0: 116. And um, And
1: I primarily do stuff on marriage. But I just, I got to get him giving me a heart to see reconciliation with all people. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I think marriage is uh, a good way to... uh, Practice reconciliation skills.
1: Girl, I be suffering. Girl, look, I got suffering. I got couples. I be suffering, like, and this is so rough. It's such a hard conversation right now. Yeah, But y'all pray for me. Girl, I have so many marriage conversations. i be like, man, this is so rough. But it, but you know, what's crazy. It's great practice for creating cross cultural conversations. Mm-hmm. I really see the benefit of working in marriages. It, it really is people at odds and creating unity based on the gospel yeah so absolutely that's dope well thank you so much bj thank you so much thanks for having
0: me (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can follow us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at facebook.com. Um, backslash Jude3project. And remember, you can donate on our site. So if this um, this podcast and this ministry is a blessing to you, help support us financially um, by going on our website at jude3project.com and hitting the donate tab um, and donating, consider donating to us. Thank you so much. Remember at the Jude3project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.